Hello, football fans, and welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is going to be episode 20 of the podcast and our fifth edition of the show, and this is what we call Joe Talk, where we will be talking the American Athletic Conference football. I'm Joe Serpico, and of course, I am joined by my friend Joey Burbeck. Joey, say what's up, my man. Yo, what's going on, man? We got a lot to talk about today, so let's lead it off first. We're going to kind of keep the same uh, format that we did last week. We're going to do the show through our power rankings, and then with that, we're going to do the recaps for last week, and then we will end the show doing our previews for what's ahead in week three. So I guess this op- we got to start with our number one team, and that is USF staying on top, even though they have been held out of action last week because of the hurricane, and that was now gives uh, Division One football 14 cancellations for the year. But they did say today that they will take action this week, unlike another team from Florida that we will talk about shortly. But it was a um, troubling times in South Florida, obviously. So. And then I guess the head for the UCF, they also did not play, and that's our one and two teams. Right. I guess the one thing I would say is, and we can talk about some previews, but South Florida might actually benefit from a little break here with kind of the issues they've been having in the first half. So I guess that's one thing I thought of was maybe almost a benefit. They can kind of get reset. Um, but obviously, you know, our thoughts are with everybody that's affected by the Hurricanes. You know, obviously there's bigger things than football games, but yeah, it's been kind of a bummer that there's been so many cancellations. Yeah, and they got a huge mashup ahead for them coming this week. Like I said, we talked about that in a little bit, so we will jump into our team that was number three, and when we did these power rankings, I'm going to say that I kind of said to you that I felt like that number three, who is Houston, should jump up to number two this week, but we kept them in the three spot for a week. Coming off that nice win on the road against Arizona, it was good to see them, you know, get in the win column after all they've been through for their own hurricane situation as well. Tell me what you saw from the Cougs, seeing as how you are the main guy at Underdog Dynasty for the for the Houston team. Uh, it was definitely a, a first game. You could tell that there were plenty of mistakes and guys just trying to figure out how to get back in the swing of things. The run game was a big question mark last year. It was kind of it was one of the weaknesses of of Houston's offense, and the first half didn't do anything really to ease any of those concerns. But they eventually did figure it out in the second half, which is really really fun to watch. Uh, the reason why I had them three is just it was it was their first game against a Power Five opponent, and I mean honestly, you could have flipped them in UCF at 2-3, and and I I wouldn't complain, but I think we just have so much more to see, and UCF was just so dominant against FIU, whereas Houston didn't really put away Arizona this week. Uh, Kyle Allen had two interceptions in the game, which one of them was his fault, the other one, the receiver, didn't really help him out too much, but for the most part, he looked looked pretty good. At one point, he was 15 for 20. Uh, passing in the game, which which was nice to see for those who were concerned that a year off might show some rust in his game. And then, you know, we could talk all, the whole podcast about Ed Oliver if we want to. I mean, the guy literally is the best defensive tackle in college football, and I, I can argue that all day. You just If you watch his film, there's no reason why you can't consider him one of the best defensive players, if not just players in college football. Can't argue that whatsoever. Uh, I was I going to bring him up shortly when we got into the next thing, but I guess we can talk about him now. You said it. I mean, he just he forces a double team, and even most of the times he's splitting that double team, getting in the backfield, just creating havoc. He came through with 11 tackles the last game. You don't hear – 11 tackles usually from a guy who's playing defensive tackle. That's just absurd to hear that number. But like you said, you know, he's he's going to be one of the best players in the country on either side of the ball. 
And once it's time for him to make that decision to go to the NFL, told no doubt about it, be probably a top 10 pick. Yeah, I think people were concerned that, well, what does year two look for look like for him after he had such a great freshman year? And I think he might be even more motivated, which is terrifying to think. And like you said, he was splitting double teams. There were so many times where I saw a Wildcat lineman on the ground. Like, he just manhandled those guys. And it's it's crazy to think that he might have a better year. I mean, like you said, 11 tackles for a defensive tackle is is unheard of. And another thing that doesn't really get noticed because it's not a stat is he, every time he's on the field, he is either making the play or he's near the play. I can't tell you the number of times Saturday night that I saw 10 right next to the play. So if the person making the tackle didn't follow through, he was right there to do it. So he easily could have had at least 10 more tackles. Yeah, he's just a monster on that line for them, and he's going to be the key cog for them all season long on that defense. I mean, it's rare that you see a guy like that just completely have to change game plans, and he does that. It doesn't matter who they go up against, and they've got an important matchup this week, which we will talk about again shortly. Um, But now just to keep going a little bit, number four, we have Memphis, who took a small drop down, but that was more because – they didn't play this week, but they're another team that's got a huge, huge matchup. It's honestly going to tell a lot about probably this team and really about the AAC as a whole as they get ready to host uh, UCLA. But before we get into all that, like I said, we're going to go through this first. Number five and six is another spot that me and you were a little bit different on. We went with SMU at five. I argued that Navy should be there, but we'll go with SMU right now. They did come off a nice win against North Texas, and in that game, Cortland Sutton set our tie to school record, excuse me, with the four touchdown receptions, and that's going to be a key for them this week because, like Memphis, this is another team that's going against a pretty powerful team and also a ranked team. Yeah, like you said, it's it's big for just this this conference in general. I mean, obviously those those two te- teams have have big matchups this week, but it's going to say more about the strength of this conference. We've been talking about it in the few weeks that the season's been started, but the AAC is trying to do this power six movement, and these are games that are going to tell us a lot about if they're ready for that next step or not, and. We'll get into it later, but yeah, the the success or the competitiveness of both these teams are going to tell us a lot. The only reason why I argued Navy to be at six is if we really think that Tulane, who we're going to talk about here shortly, is the 10th best team in the conference, then beating them by one score is not as impressive as blowing out a North Texas team. So I think that's the only reason why I had them six, but obviously that can change in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, my argument only was it just seems that we're kind of undervaluing their triple option, which everybody does all season long. It just doesn't seem to be – doesn't look like anyone can seem to stop it, regardless of you know what defense you throw at them. I can see your point about Tulane, who you said is our – 10th place team and, you know, barely getting by with that. And, I mean, a little bit to to make it even worse, you know, they did have to use their backup quarterback and still hung in that game a little bit. But that's more of a uh, Zach Abbey problem. He had four turnovers in the game. He still put up 240 yards total, but those four turnovers are obviously going to be what makes or breaks uh, Navy season. And I guess we can talk about them a little bit more in depth because they are – off this week, so tell me a little bit of what you think about uh, Navy as we move forward with them. I think yes, we underestimated them, but if you look at who they played, they they beat a Tulane team. Maybe maybe you and I are both just undervaluing Tulane. That could be entirely possible, but they beat Tulane by two, and then they beat FAU, which FAU is pretty much all hype coming into this season that they they still might have a decent year, but 
those two wins to me aren't enough to jump Navy up too much. Like you said, Abby had four turnovers, and I think that's a reason why I'm still kind of concerned about them. I mean, I'm not ready to put them at the bottom of the conference, but by no means am I saying they're a top-four team. I wouldn't go that far. I think the, the four that we have in the top four, I think we can both agree that those are by far the top four teams, and then after that, it's you know it's a, a drop-off after that. And then when you get to the bottom... Well, the bottom two, forget about it. We'll get to them eventually. I, they're, you know, they're kind of the, the laughing stock of maybe college football right now. But then, you know, the rest of those teams in the middle there are kind of muddled together between SMU and Tulane. Depending on matchups, you know, once we get into conference play, we're going to see these teams go against each other. And I, I can honestly see, you know, one goes here and knocks one off, and the other one shows up there, and you would think they would knock that team off, and they don't in the scenarios like that. And I think we're going to see a lot of that between those teams. And then, like I said, those four teams on top just take care of their business moving forward. But to keep diving through, let's go into that next team at number seven, which is Tulsa, who's actually coming off a um, pretty impressive win in terms of they scored eight rushing touchdowns, which is unheard of, I would think. Usually you would think there would be at least one receiving touchdown in there, but no, it was eight rushing touchdowns. Jandro Brewer broke the school record with 262 yards. Chad President, again, not overly impressive, but did enough to you know, obviously get a win over Louisiana Lafayette. The defense is the problem, though. 101 points in two games. That's a huge problem. Tell me what you saw from Tulsa in the previous week. I was concerned going in because Brewer had, I think it was some like 60 yards in the, their first game, which granted they were, I don't even think it was that, maybe 30 yards. against. It was against Oklahoma State, so I guess you can take that with a grain of salt. But to have him bounce back in this way was very surprising. Obviously the offense we thought was going to still be a high-powered offense, but not maybe this early. So that was a nice surprise. You mentioned President. Obviously, he's got a little ways to go, but he was he was 14-20, which is pretty good for his second game. Uh, the defense, yeah, uh, 101 points is bad. I think I saw they were giving up 300 yards rushing and passing per game um, last time I checked, which which doesn't mean good things for them. That's not going to win you a ton of games. And going into this week, which we'll talk later, that's a sign for a, a lot of trouble. Yeah, they've got a uh, another team with a pretty solid matchup ahead. Uh, we'll dive into number eight, and that is the Cincinnati Bearcats. And even though they are coming off a loss to Michigan, I think we can both say that it was more of a impressive loss, seeing as how you know, we kind of thought that this game would be a blowout, and they kept it tight all the way to the third quarter until Hayden Moore, you know, he ended up throwing two pick sixes in the game, and ultimately ended up being the deciding factor. Yeah, the defense definitely is the reason why that game was close. I think I saw that it was three points at one point in the third quarter, which is yep. I was I was very surprised to see that. So that was a good, that was a nice thing to see. I hope that Moore's two pick because he threw two pick sixes and it's that's not good for his confidence. But and he finished fifteen for forty, which oh man, that that was hard to watch. And then you mentioned Boone, which we both agreed Moore and Boone were two players that needed to do better for Cincinnati's offense to excel. And granted, they're playing a really good Michigan defense, but. I hope that their struggles uh, towards the end of the game don't carry over into this week. Yeah, they've got a, uh, an a in-state rivalry matchup ahead as well. There's a lot of a lot of good games this week, actually, and not all involving uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the power schools, but you know, even some of them in the uh, G5 related ones that, uh, like we said earlier, we'll get to soon. But number nine on our list is the Temple Owls. And to be frank, that offense right now looks terrible. 
the only thing they got going for them is Logan Marchie has yet to turn the ball over, but Raquel Armstead has yet to get going. I mean, in general, the offense has yet to get going. They've got only the three touchdowns in two games. I don't know if there really is a, a solution ahead for them because you know, now, I mean, they're getting into the you know the meat of their schedule. Those are, the game against Villanova was supposed to be a game that you thought that they would run right through, and they almost let that game slip away at the end. Um, the second half was really, really hard to watch. It seemed like they went three and out on almost every drive. Tell me what you think about Jeff Collins and uh, the work he's doing down there in Philadelphia. Well, the the first game against Notre Dame, I was impressed overall with how Temple played, but this one was a little bit concerning. We had talked about Villanova before. They made the FCS playoffs last year, so it's not like they're playing a bad team, but winning by three is not the uh, margin of victory that we were expecting. And you mentioned Marchie before. It's kind of surprising that he is like the one player on that offense that has things kind of figured out. You mentioned Armstead too, and he's not getting going, which is something we kind of anticipated going into the season, but now that it seems that Marchie's the steady hand, which he was a question mark going into the season, it's almost like the other facets of the offense don't really know how to gel with him. Yeah, that's what makes it kind of uh, hard to understand. I mean, you would figure that all the pieces around Marchie would make up for his inexperience, and it seems like, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, they're just not, I don't know if it's gelling like you said, or it's the play calling, or it's just, the, you know, the guys around him just can't figure out what their roles are ultimately going to be, but it has been hard to watch that offense. And thankfully, they do have the defense that is Jeff Collins' is calling card, and that will be great. We know that all season long. But we thought maybe coming in this year they'll be like a team that would be respectable in the AAC in terms of maybe they could flirt with games when they take on like South Florida and uh, Central Florida. But from what I've seen in the past couple of weeks, I don't think that's going to be uh, possible. Yeah, and we'll definitely see as time goes on. Obviously, Collins' staff needs still a little bit more time to get – with their players and understand how they work and who works well with who. But I think at this point it's kind of a roller coaster and we're only two weeks in. All right, well now let's jump into our number 10 team. And this week we have, well, it's been the past three weeks actually, I guess, and that is the Tulane Green Wave. Um, we talked about them already a little bit earlier Um Jonathan Banks was injured in the last game, which forced another Jonathan, Jonathan Brantley, to take over, and he almost actually pulled off the upset against the midshipmen. They still haven't confirmed whether Banks is going to play. I thought, honestly, he just like kind of fell on the ball, lost his wind, but they're making it sound like it's a little, uh, something that's worse than that because he's still not practicing. But, in any who they are in for a real battle this week. They traveled to Norman to take on Oklahoma. Tell me what you think about Tulane and then in a little bit we'll talk about that matchup that's ahead. Well, not to ruin any uh, predictions, but they're probably going to lose this week and I'll just stop there. Uh, I was I was impressed. The defense is going to be their strength this year. We talked about that heading into the season. And Navy rushed for 310 yards a game last year, and Tulane held them to 194 this this game. Uh, they also, we mentioned earlier, forced four turnovers, so that was that was promising. And I think the offense is vastly improved from last year, which that's going to be the biggest reason why they have success this this year. Um, and even with with Banks going down and Brantley taking over. It didn't really affect their chemistry, and like you said, they still almost pulled off pulled off the upset. Yeah, it's good to see. You know, we talked about coming into the season that we need some of the teams on the on the bottom to help round this conference out, and it's good to see Tulane do its part in that because the last two teams on our list, they're definitely not doing their share. Uh, number eleven, we have UConn. 
their game was canceled this past week because of the hurricane. So there's, you know, I really don't know what else to say about them until we get into our previews in a little bit. So then we could just jump right into number 12, which is ECU. And, I mean, I know me and you were kind of joking about it on Saturday. Uh, I put something out about how I thought that they would lose by 40 points. Well, they were losing by 40 points at the half. And then, granted, some are going to look at that score and think, well, they kept the respectable. Uh, no, West Virginia, they pulled the reins at that point. And, uh, Will Greer was out of the game. And then ECU got a couple garbage touchdowns. I don't even know what to say about ECU. I'm just going to let you go ahead. I think UConn, I'm just kind of holding on because their defense is solid. I think that's the one thing that keeps me hopeful for them. Whereas ECU, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to get excited about. It, like you said, it was it was 49 zip at halftime, and if people really think that ECU kept it close and pulled it within 36, then they didn't really watch the game. If, if Greer and the offense would have stayed in the whole game, it, they could have easily scored 100. And it's I, yeah, I just uh, they're in a rough stretch right now where I don't see how it gets any better. Their schedule is definitely not forgiving. I don't know who put that together, but they're not doing any favors. They still have USF Temple, UCF, BYU, and Houston, and then we're finally in November. So, I mean, we joked about, kind of joked about them not having any wins until that first week in November, but that's starting to look like that's going to be the case, which is really sad. Yeah, I thought, you know, while well, leading up to the year, we thought maybe that one win would have been last week, and it wasn't last week. We knew it wasn't going to be against West Virginia this week. Ahead, they've got Virginia Tech, and then you went through that whole schedule there. So it is going to be a brutal season down there. Um, I would have to argue that Scotty Montgomery's seat is getting a little warm just because, I mean, you would expect some improvement, maybe not like complete improvement, but – be somewhat competitive. They have not been competitive in any game yet, and I think that's the part that just irritates me the most. It's just there's they're not competitive in any game that they've been in so far. Before I just go on a, a, a rant about how how bad they have been, let's just go ahead and get into what's ahead. And I guess we can start. There's two games on Friday night. We'll start with the bigger of the two, and that will be. The Bulls finally getting back into action. Uh, they, Like we said earlier, they will play. They announced it earlier today that they will. Um, they haven't looked sharp in their first two games against San Jose State and Stony Brook. And then this is a matchup against Illinois, which is a P5 opponent. And before I forget, that game can be seen at, on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock. And it's an 18-point Bulls favorite. Tell me what you think of the Bulls. I think we can both agree that Illinois, granted they are 2-0, they are not one of the stronger Power 5 schools, and this is the game that, I mean, obviously even the odds makers think that the Bulls should have handedly. Yeah, I think Illinois is not one of the stronger teams. They're, they're definitely one of the weaker teams in the Power 5 conferences. I think the Western Kentucky win really surprised me last week. I didn't expect Western Kentucky to be nearly as good as they were last year, but I also didn't expect them to have zero points going into the fourth quarter, so I think that kind of opened my eyes a little bit heading into this week. With USF's slow starts, that could be just what the Illini need. Uh, and I don't know what the conditions are going to be like, but if if it's pretty sloppy, like the few games in this conference have been, then it's going to come down to if Quentin Flowers and Dearness Johnson can get going, and the passing game might have to be put on the back burner for now. Uh, the one player I really like for Illinois is Mike Dudek. He tore his ace, both his ACLs in the last two years, and he's back again. So I, I'm kind of pulling for him. He's kind of one of those guys that you feel bad for because he tore his ACL at the beginning of both the last two years, and and he's still going getting after it. So he's one guy I'm kind of pulling for, and 
I'm really surprised that they're 2-0 and at this point. I think a lot of people are shocked about that game last week about Western Kentucky. Uh, I know they were an underdog against them. I believe it was. And they were, you know, a home dog, which you don't see often. But you brought up Dudak. But I wanted to bring up uh, Mike Epstein, the running back, who's a true freshman, who's started the season phenomenally for the Illini. Um, kind of a little, you know, the storyline of the story is Lovey Smith is making his return to Raymond James Stadium, where he was Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach for a long time. But you brought him up, Flowers and Johnson. This is a game they really need to. This is their last chance to make a an impression, if if they can at this point, following how poorly they've started the last two games, to really come out and lay the smackdown on some team. Just because I mean they should have already won these first two games by 40, 50 plus, and they haven't done it. If you really want to show people that you are the strongest G5 team, you've got to come out and beat up on Illinois here. Yeah, I would say even if they, right now if they go undefeated, I wouldn't be surprised if one last team jumps over them as the best G5 team. They just haven't dominated. I mean, if, if I had to predict anything right now, I would say that they're not going undefeated based on how they're playing, but if even if they did go undefeated, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a one last team that jumps over them. Yeah, I can't. I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, really can't argue that just with how how sloppy they have looked. That some of these other teams, say, uh, some of these other uh, G five teams. Uh, I mean, I'm getting close to saying. I mean, and I know it was only one game, but you know, I'm ready to put Houston creeping up on that on our power rankings here. And I think we're going to find out in these next couple weeks just how good Houston really is. But let's do the other Friday night game there, which is UMass. At Temple, that game's also at 7 p.m. and it's on ESPNU. Um, Temple is a 14.5 point favorite, which honestly blows my mind with how terrible that offense has been. I don't know when they plan on them scoring 14 points at all, which is the way they have looked recently. But I'm going to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about UMass's football team either, so I'm going to kind of divert it to you to see if you've got anything on them. Uh, yeah, it, I think, well, UMass first is the only 0-3 team in college football right now. Granted, they played that extra week, so that's why. But I think 14 seems pretty high. I think UMass has played their games close. They've lost, they lost to Hawaii by 3, and they lost to Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion by 10. Uh, and this Temple team, it, like we said earlier, is having some issues, and I think that's makes them prime for an upset at this point. Uh, UMass has a tight end who's one of the best in college football, Adam Brenneman. He's been one of the best for a while now and should be playing on Sundays in the future. I think Temple's struggle last week against Villanova is a big reason why I'm concerned about this game. I don't know if they'll necessarily lose, but at the same time, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if the Miniman can pull off the upset. Is uh, The Miniman have a, a pretty decent offense, but I think Temple's defense should be up to the task. I just don't see the 14-point the win that Vegas sees. So if I was on the, uh, on the betting side of that, I would definitely go on the UMass side there, just because, like I said, I mean, with the offense, with how terrible it has been, I can't see how they can outscore teams. You brought up UMass has kept a lot of those games close. I did notice that when I was looking at them back at their um, their games as well. So Temple's got a, really their last out-of-conference game, a chance to, um, I guess, make an impression, really. If I mean, Jeff Collins to make an impression for the Rock. What's ahead for the AAC? I really don't know what to say, just because they've been kind of rough to watch in these first couple games. Um, but let's jump into the Saturday slate. I guess we'll kind of kick it off with the Georgia Tech and UCF game will not be played. Uh, that'll be the second game canceled for both teams. One thing I did think that was a little bit funny is Georgia Tech will make up their game with uh, Miami. But 
they have no intentions to make up this game with the UCF. Yeah, I think that has more to do with them being a conference game. I know it's frustrating. Uh, you have these teams that are trying to show that they want to compete. And I think, honestly, it's the best thing for college football is to have these games played. But I do understand why they're making up with Miami just because it's a conference game. And to kind of tie that into the AAC, I really hope that UCF and Memphis figure something out. I don't know if that's in the works or if that was officially decided against, but I hope that in terms of the AAC, at least those conference games are also rescheduled. That would be nice to see. Yeah, hopefully they do do that, but I I mean, I haven't seen anything in regards to that, nor really talks about them doing it. I feel like by now they probably would have, you know, we would have heard something, so I don't know if that's going to be possible. Um, just to kind of give like a little bit of a backstory, I said earlier that South Florida is playing and then UCF is not. Some will say why. UCF is one of the schools that did offer the campus for the National Guard as they take over for the, the relief down there. So you can understand why that is um, a good good reason to cancel the game this week. Well, like you said, you would love to see UCF get a shot at a team like Georgia Tech just because you want to see them go against the uh, P5 t- teams as well. But their next matchup, which will be next week, is against uh, Maryland. So they will get another P5 school. And I will actually be in attendance for that game. So I will probably be giving the update for the Central Florida game that week. Um, but let's jump into the big game for Saturday. And that is, we talked about it a little bit earlier, number 25 UCLA. Going to Memphis, that's at 12 p.m. on ABC. They are UCLA is a three-point favorite, and you said something to me earlier today about how you thought that was a little bit too low. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I guess I feel that people who make the odds and even just like the experts, so-called in general, tend to ride trends pretty hard, and UCLA has been on fire. Granted, they gave up 44 points to... Texas A&M before coming back, but I just thought that with how how hot they are and how popular Josh Rosen is, I thought that that number might be a little bit higher, but you, as you pointed out, Memphis, I mean, we'll talk about this, but Memphis is solid and they're at home, so that's probably a big reason why it's only three. Yeah, and I think, obviously, Josh Rosen plays a lot in the hype for UCLA, and I'm, but other than that, I don't know, I, I'm not going to act like I watched a whole lot of UCLA. I caught the very end of that, that comeback win, which was incredible to watch. Don't get me wrong. But there was one thing I did notice about UCLA is that they can definitely be had on the ground. Um, they have given up a ton of yards to, to every team they played. When they played A&M, they had a 203-yard rusher and a 114-yard rusher against them. When they, uh, Hawaii, there was Somebody ran for 154 yards against them, and Memphis has two pretty talented backs in Patrick Terra and Daryl Henderson. So I really think they'd have some big games. This could be a game and, um, that they can sneak with. And, you know, Riley Ferguson, who we talked about possibly being the player of the conference this year, you just got to make a couple throws, and they can run all over this UCLA defense. Yeah, and the strength of Memphis, believe it or not, is the passing game. I know there's the first game didn't show that, but that – as we found out, had more to do with the conditions of the game, more so than the talent that was participating. So I think with good conditions, you'll be able to see the weapons that Memphis possesses. You mentioned Taylor and Henderson. They're actually the two backups. Dorsius is the starter, and he I think he had an injury in the first game, so Mike Norvell kept him out just as a precaution. So he didn't. We haven't even seen what he could do in 2017, but we've seen that the backups are plenty capable of running the ball. And like you mentioned, UCLA is not good at stopping the run. They're giving up almost 332 yards per game on the ground. And that, even though Memphis's strength is in the air, they might have to stick to the ground game until UCLA proves they can stop them. And if they can get the running game going, then play action is just going to gash the Bruins. 
Yeah, and, and looking ahead for for UCLA, you know, they got Stanford next week. Now, I can't say they're going to really overlook the Tigers here, but you never know. The conference games really, in the end, matter a little bit more than these out-of-conference games. So maybe they could be slightly looking ahead. But it'll be interesting to see how Memphis defense can hold up against Rosen, who I've argued this with a buddy of mine. Uh, he is, says that Sam Darnold is the best quarterback in the country. I agree that it's Josh Rosen. Let me, you know, I'll ask you on that. Which one of those two do you think is the best? Uh, the correct answer is Lamar Jackson. Uh, it's not even a question in my oh, opinion. Oh, right. Uh, if I had to pick between the, those two, I don't know if I could. I like both of them. Uh, I think I think Darnold might be a little bit better, but, uh, yeah, I can't really say. I, I can say Lamar is definitely the best. It's not even close. And it's quite comical that people are now saying, oh, well, he's now in the lead for the Heisman. Like, he was always in the lead for the Heisman. And that's a topic for another day. I could go on and on. But it's Josh Rosen is definitely going to be someone to watch on Saturday. And I know Memphis has been watching film on him quite a bit because they know that he is going to be the, the weapon that they need to stop. And they have a bunch of injuries on defense, which is going to hurt them, I think. Uh, they have a couple players that are out for the season. The linebackers are kind of spread thin. There was a couple injuries there. And one thing I wanted to talk to you, so Jonathan Wilson, who's a defensive lineman for the Tigers, had a targeting call in the second half against UL Monroe. And he was supposed to sit out the first half of the game as per the targeting rules and whatnot. But because that game was canceled, now he has to sit out the first half of the UCLA game. Do you think that's right? I feel like that's like you had you had a game and it got canceled. That should be wiped out as well. What are your thoughts with that? I know I'm gonna be the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the party pooper, I guess. But no, it's it's kind of like I mean, think of it as in a sense of. Doug Martin's suspension in the NFL, he still has a three-game suspension even though their game was canceled this week. You know, So for fantasy purposes, I know a lot of people do that. You're bad now because you really lost him for four weeks instead of the three weeks. So I think that you do have to kind of apply that rule to – I mean, yeah, it does suck. It shouldn't apply, I, mean, I guess, a game and a half away. But that is the next time they're on the field and you got to punish them at some point. And granted, I am not a fan of that rule to be the whole targeting rule, but if you're going to do it, I mean, that's the way it's got to be done, I think. Yeah, it's true. It's just, I mean, either way, no one's going to be happy. I just, that was kind of a talking point in the Memphis community this this week was if Wilson was going to play or not, but it sounded like he's out for a half. So hopefully that doesn't come back to bite him, but yeah, I just, I guess I'm just not a fan of that. I am not a fan of the whole targeting. Now, if it's something egregious where, like, a guy is literally, it looks like he's trying to take somebody's head off, I could totally understand the reason for making the guy sit, you know, not only leave the game, but, you know, sit out the next game too. But some of these, you know, some of them you just feel bad for the defensive player. It's almost like, what are they supposed to do? They have to make some kind of play on the ball. If they don't touch the guy at all, then the guy just takes it to the house. But then, like, these offensive players, they move their heads and the guy moves in and they hit them in all different places. It's it's really a, a tough situation for a, a defensive player to be in. Right, and this is one of those it could have gone either way calls, which those are always so frustrating, and then now you add this on top of it. So I guess I think that kind of adds to the disappointment. Yeah, like I said, like in a situation like that, Okay, I can understand take them out of that game, but when they go and they apply it to the next game tool, that's the thing that bothers me. If it was like a blatant head hunting hit, then you make them sit the next game. But I understand that they're trying to you know clean up the game and whatnot. But I'm not a big fan of um, of that rule whatsoever. But just to uh, kind of get back on on course here, um, the other 12 o'clock game in the AAC is a matchup with an ACC school, and that is UConn going against Virginia. That's at 12 p.m. on ESPN2. The Cavaliers right now are a 10-point favorite. Uh, in this game, I'll be honest, these are not 
two offensive powerhouses, to say the least. Um, UConn is arguably one of the worst in the country, but Virginia is not going to be much better. And to be honest, UConn actually won this matchup last year, 13-10. to 10. Um, Tell me what you think we're going to see in this one, and do you think that Randy Etzel's short time with Maryland helps him out a little bit in this matchup against Virginia? I think this year it doesn't matter. I think Virginia is better. I'm I'm a big fan of Bronco Mendenhall, the Virginia coach. I think he did what he did at BYU was outstanding, and I think he's trying to turn things around here with Virginia. They do have a little bit of an AAC connection. Uh, their quarterback Kurt Venkert is former ECU quarterback, and he mm-hmm. started off season pretty well. Uh, Mendenhall has. Two studs on defense. Uh, safety Quinn Blanding already has 24 tackles this season, and linebacker Micah Kaiser already has 21 with three tackles at, for loss and three sacks. So those two are definitely be two players to watch out for. I think this is a good test for both teams. The AAC, or ACC, excuse me, is is so strong. So Virginia is definitely towards the bottom, and. The AAC is at a point where UConn is also at the bottom, so it's kind of a test of the two bottom feeders, if you will. So it's it's not going to be a game that many people tune in for, but I think that we'll kind of know more about both teams after it's over. Yeah, I am kind of interested to see, like I said, about if Wright Lashley left Auburn to coast UConn, so we're ex- expecting some kind of offensive surgeons from the Huskies, anything. But I guess until they really get the players in there, it's not going to work out. But you kind of said it. Well, I guess this weekend we will find out which one of those offenses is worse, I guess, to really not put it any more pretty there. Um, let's dive into next one. I keep working. We, I said it earlier. We got a lot of good games. I like this game too. It is SMU versus TCU, that game's at 3.30 and can be seen on ESPNU. Uh, we talked about SMU earlier. I talked about Sutton break, or tying school record, and this is a game where him and Ben Hicks are going to have to connect a lot again because TCU is a team that is putting up a hell of a lot of points. Yeah, we talked about SMU's defense needing to be the, the catalyst if they were going to be successful this year and I think this is going to be the game where we find out is SMU's defense for real or are we just going to see more of the same this year because TCU's offense is ridiculous Uh, Kenny Hill or Kenny Trill if you're still one of those people hopefully they bring that back I think that's one of the better nicknames in college football he's completing 72.2% of his passes this year that's unbelievable and granted, they played some SDS team the first week, but they did play Arkansas last week, and they looked pretty dominant. Uh, they're also back to playing TCU defense under Gary Patterson, which is kind of nice to see, but that's going to be tough for Ben Hicks to find Cortland Sutton. We already know that he's going to get double teamed, and this is going to be probably the best defense that they face all year. Well, that's without a doubt. I don't think we can argue that whatsoever. Um, SMU is really in for a real, I guess, it's kind of a punch in the mouth. We're going to find out just how good that defense is going to be able to keep up. You know, We've said all season long with them that that's going to be what really determines their fate moving forward. They've scored 112 points through the first two games, which is a school record. There are 2-0 for only the second time since 1996, which is awesome for them. But on the flip side... They've lost five straight to TCU. They've lost nine of the last ten, 15 of the last 17. Um, we talked about how good the TCU is looking. I, SMU will be able to score some points, as we've been able to see. I can see them maybe getting to the to, you know the 30-point range. But TCU is just firing at all cylinders right now. Yeah, I hope it's a shootout. This, this should be a fun game to watch. I don't think... SMU can keep up, but I, I really hope it's a shootout. That'd be fun to watch. Yeah, that, honestly, that's what I'm hoping for, too. I hope they just keep a, a competitive game as we keep talking about. 
represent the AAC pretty well in a game where they are expected to lose. And who knows? We've seen crazier things happen. Maybe they do pull something off. Unlike the next team, the next team that's on the docket is ECU will welcome number 16, Virginia Tech. That game is at 3.30 and can be seen on CBS Sports Network. Virginia Tech is a 21.5-point favorite. Like I said last week, it should be 30, almost 40. I don't understand why they're still in the 20 range with all this. Granted, I guess Virginia Tech is not coming off the, a really dominant win. They played against Delaware, and it was only a 27 nothing win. And they both do have a common opponent going against WVU. I mean, Virginia Tech, they won that game in the, in the regular season opener. And ECU just basically just laid down for WVU, so I don't understand why they don't expect Virginia Tech to do the same thing. I think Virginia Tech's MO is not to dominate games on the scoreboard. I think they dominate in other ways. Their defense under Bud Foster's is so good. I don't think the offense is nearly ex- as explosive as West Virginia, which th- I think that's the reason why it's it's so low right now, or uh, 20, I guess. So it won't be as big of a blowout as you think. They're, they certainly are capable of putting up 50, 60 points, but I don't think that it's that's going to be the case. It's hard to find a way that ECU scores any points against this defense, maybe when the second and third stringers get in, but the 27 zip is kind of your typical Virginia Tech game, is put up just enough points where you have a comfortable lead and then just rely on the defense to dominate the opposing offense. I can see what you say there. I do kind of agree with that assessment about Virginia Tech. They've never really ever... I mean, I understand now they're under Justin Fuentes, but even before when they were under uh, Frank Beamer, oh, I almost lost his name for a second, uh, they really didn't, in games like this, they didn't just absolutely wipe the floor with teams. But 21.5 still seems like a relatively low number for me just from what we've seen from ECU this year. Um, I'm looking for any sign out of ECU. I feel like I'm going to say this every week. Any sign of competitiveness, just please, just do something halfway good. Otherwise, Scotty Montgomery is going to be gone soon, and I think um, I think they're still going through where they they really shouldn't have fired their last coach. But let's keep going. Next up is Tulane will travel to Norman to take on Oklahoma. That game's at 6 p.m. Honestly, was surprised unless you saw it differently. I didn't see that it was going to be nationally televised anywhere. So I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to uh, game cast this one. Uh, Oklahoma is a 33-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that's pretty fair coming off of how Baker Mayfield just probably had one of the better games of his career seeing at Ohio State. I think it's ridiculous that the guy's got nine incompletions on the season, and he's been the two-time reigning Big 12 player of the week. The kid's damn good. If it wasn't for the guy you brought up earlier, Lamar Lamar Jackson, I would argue that Baker Mayfield is the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I don't know if you uh, did this transition on purpose, but you mentioned the uh, ECU coach that got fired, Ruffin McNeil, who's actually now at Oklahoma. Um, so if you did, props to you. That was a great transition. No, actually, I didn't know that whatsoever. <laughs> no yeah, clue. They showed him. They I heard a story. They showed him the ECU score from from the James Madison game, and he just kind of chuckled and walked away from the reporter, and that's all he needed to say. Uh, but yeah, you you brought up Baker Mayfield, who you, we could we could go all day and talk about his planting the flag at Ohio State's 50 yard line and his apology and blah blah blah, and who cares? He's one of the best in college football, and that's all you really need to know. And it's—I don't know about the, the televised part of the game, but it's really probably one of those games that you just need to check the final score, nod a little bit, and kind of move on. Yeah, I think Willie Fritz. There, I mean, when he saw this game on the schedule, probably his stomach just went, "Ugh." And then, what are you going to do? You just take it. And then move on to the next one. I am a little bit interested to see how well talked about how 
solid the Tulane's defense has been so far, and I'm going to be interested to see how, in particular, Perry Nickerson does against the uh, Oklahoma wide receivers because he's somebody who's talked about as an NFL talent. So I will be kind of interested to see that, but uh, how am I going to be interested? I can't really watch it. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what highlights come out there and trust their people down there in New Orleans to give us some in-depth analysis of what's going on with that game. Um, But to keep it going here, I'm going to argue that outside of the UCLA-Memphis game, the next game that's up is a game that I'm really looking forward to, and that is Tulsa versus Toledo. That game can be seen on ESPN3 at 7 p.m. The Rockets are now a 10-point favorite. These are two teams coming into the year that I had in my best over-under totals, and I had them both with the over. Uh, I'm really a big fan of Toledo this year. Really like uh, Logan Woodside. I think they are one of the G5 teams that is not getting enough coverage this year. It's all come kind of coming to you know, we've talked about you know, Houston and and USF, but Toledo is a team. I guess it's more because they're in the MAC that they're just not getting a whole lot of love. Yeah, I think you can make an argument they're a top five G five team for sure. Like I don't think there's any doubt that they're one of the better teams in the group of five conferences. You mentioned Woodside. He threw 43 touchdown passes last year and. He's only thrown two so far, which is kind of surprising, but it's not, it looks like the running game has been picking up the slack so far, and they haven't had the greatest competition, although they did struggle with Nevada last week a little bit. I think Tulsa's in for a long day just because they can't stop anybody on defense, and Toledo's offense is dynamic no matter what play they choose, and their defense is... Very underrated, in my opinion, uh, and I think that's going to be a big X factor in how this team turns out. Yeah, you kind of mentioned the defense, and I think that's something that we need to keep an eye on. The defense for, excuse me, for Toledo is one that you know has played a lot better than I think even they expected so far this season. Um, you know, if you've not been paying attention to Toledo. If you're an NFL fan, you heard of Kareem Hunt. That's where he came from. Uh, and they've got some other running backs behind behind him that should be, you know, be pretty solid as well. Um, this is a game that Logan Woodside, I really think, has an opportunity to kind of uh, make a name for himself. Chad President is going to have to do his part to match whatever Woodside does. And Brewer might be the key to the game once again. Yeah, he, I mean, if he if he can rush for 600 yards and 10 touchdowns, they have a shot. Well, I mean, I guess that's every game, though, right? Yeah. Well, I like you know, we kind of said earlier. I mean, they ran for eight you know, eight touchdowns, so we're just gonna have to see what a president's gonna eventually have to you know, he's gonna have to sling the ball a little bit. And against a team like Toledo, this is probably gonna be one of those games where he's gonna have to do it. Yeah, definitely, I would agree with that, and it's. The longer the season goes on, the more he's going to have to throw the ball because they can't just keep relying on Brewer and and the run game to do all the work for him. But like we both agreed, it's it's really coming down to to him and the defense. The defense needs to do a lot better, and it doesn't matter if President can throw a lot better if the defense can't stop anybody. Like we said, it's just going to be a long season. Agreed. Agreed. But now let's jump into the next matchup, which will be the return of the Bayou Bucket Classic. Uh, Rice taking on Houston. That game's at 8 p.m. on ESPN3. Um, Houston owns a 29-11 to 11 advantage versus Rice. They've won the last three. We've talked about Ed Oliver and how much a monster he is. Uh, both of these schools are... Basically, if you don't know, Rice is based out of the Houston area as well, so they're both dealing with the wreckage back home. Actually, uh, if I recall, Rice was at TCU for a while. There may still be. I'm not even sure if they've gotten back yet. So this is a, a big game for both schools as it will be their first game back in uh, Houston since the, the damage of the hurricane. Yeah, I think it's good for both schools. Uh, it's a home game for Houston, but like you said, Rice is so close that it's kind of almost like a home game for them as well. Uh, they both were displaced, you mentioned again, at 
as a result of the hurricane. So I think both both schools are ready to get back to their campuses and get back to focusing on football. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do with the hurricane cleanup and recovery, but I think for now it's good that they're getting to play a game. I don't see how this one's close, to be honest. If you watch Rice play the first two games, things haven't been going super well, and frankly, I don't know if triple-teaming Ed Oliver is going to be good enough for the Owls, because he's just going to be living in their backfield, and I think Houston's offense gets back to playing well like they did in the second half of, or excuse me, the first half of the Arizona game. They, the running game looked, looked solid eventually. Kyle Allen looked like he was very comfortable in the pocket, so I think that's one thing that I'm looking forward to is having this offense getting to playing where they're capable of. Yeah, I still haven't gotten over Rice's uh, opening week beatdown. It was 62-7 to at Stanford, and I actually picked them to cover that 31-point spread. I was not too happy about that performance from them. You brought up Oliver. Uh, he's legitimately going to – I said he's going to live in the backfield the last game. I mean, I don't know if there's – you can put all five offensive linemen on him. I don't know if they're going to be able to stop him just because of how dominant he's going to be. Uh, I really think this is a game you said that I think they're going to just blow them out. Um not as maybe not as bad as the sixty-two to seven at Stanford, but I could see it being you know somewhere in the mid forties to a ten game with ease. But to move on to the last matchup for the AAC teams this week, and that is Cincinnati will be on the road against Miami, Ohio. It will be the hundred and twenty-second meeting of the Victory Bell rivalry. And they actually just extended the series out to 2029. So I would love to see more schools do stuff like this. I feel like some of these rivalries like this are starting to disappear with conference realignment, which is a shame. But to get in, you know, we talked a little bit about Cincinnati earlier. Very impressive how they held their own with the Wolverines. Um, surprisingly, Miami of Ohio is a four and a half point favorite. I guess that's maybe just because more of they're the home team, but I'm honestly a little bit surprised what we'll be seeing from Luke Fickle's bunch. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, but at the same time, I I kind of predicted them to be a, a surprise team this year, and they're definitely proving me right so far. The Like we mentioned, we talked about the Michigan game earlier and how the Bearcats surprised us and how well they played, even though they did lose. Uh, surprisingly, both Cincinnati and Miami, Ohio have a common opponent. We're two weeks in. They played Austin P and the Red Hawks won 31 to 10. And Cincinnati, which we mentioned last week, struggled to win 26 to 14. So I want to see if that's any indicator of how this game is going to go. I think Miami, Ohio's offense is going to be a concern, but Cincinnati's defense has proved that they can compete with the best and they can keep their team in games. Yeah, just a little bit of a series note. Miami leads the all-time series 59-55-7, but the Bearcats have won 11 straight, including the 27-20 win last year. Uh, I kind of, that's part of it into my thinking as the reason why I'm kind of surprised they are, you know, such an underdog just because they won the matchup last year. You brought up the common opponent. I I think more of that first game, maybe that they kind of played down to their competition, and then, or maybe they played up to their competition against the Wolverines. So I think this week will be a good test to see really what is Cincinnati really made of. But now, I guess, let's just kind of go through. We kind of went through every game each week. We kind of go through our little competition between us how many wins do you see out of AAC teams? Uh, because I don't know if I'm, yeah, we don't have any against each other. So we got 11 games this week. How many AAC wins will we get? Oh man! Well, I noticed in our in our Pick'em article we're still undefeated, so that's 
That was pretty I, know, I noticed that too, but I was going to say I think this is the first week where between the two of us we're going to have some uh, differences between us. Yeah, that's good. It's what we kind of wanted, a little competition and just some different thinking. If I had to pick wins, let's see, I probably, Cincinnati probably will pick the win. Houston will win. So that's two. Oh, man, this is getting rough. I'm going to go five, so like the obvious ones, USF will beat Illinois, Temple beats UMass. I'm picking Memphis with the upset just because, and then the last two, Houston and Cincinnati. Yeah, I think the one we're going to disagree on is I I really do want to take Memphis, and I guess you can kind of say maybe the week off maybe helped them out, but I can also see it the other way too. I can see the week off just because we haven't gotten a chance to see how dynamic they can be because of the weather conditions in the first game. And UCLA has proven that they can score. So I think that's one that UCLA actually is going to get, even though obviously I will be rooting for the, for Memphis there. But, yeah, other than that, I kind of have to agree with you. Um, the one game I'm just – what is your thoughts on the Cincinnati, the Miami game? Because that's the one where I'm kind of – I'm torn on a little bit. That one might as well be a pick because I don't – I think that it could honestly go either way. So I'm just picking Cincinnati because I just like what I see so far. But I wouldn't be surprised one bit if the Red Hawks came out with the win. And I agree with you on the UCLA-Memphis game. I can easily see UCLA winning. Uh, I think I'm just going to choose to cheer for Memphis and so we can stop hearing about Josh Rosen and talking about his hot tub in his dorm room again. <laughs> That's funny. I guess something we didn't do in the previous weeks, and I just kind of thought of now, of all the teams, because we've got some of these teams are going against some powerhouses, which team would you see being the most likely upset? Oh, man. Most likely upset. I mean, I'd, I honestly would have to say... Memphis, I think, I don't think SMU has, I guess SMU would be the other one, but I honestly think I'm more confident in Memphis as a team than SMU. I, we're still not sure what SMU's defense can do, and TCU seems to be well-rounded this year, whereas Memphis obviously has questions on defense, but they can hang with UCLA, and yeah, UCLA has won two games, but I, they have a lot of question marks on defense as well, so I honestly have to say Memphis, and the, I mean, the line's three, there's a re, obviously a reason for that, I haven't seen it yet, but hopefully that comes through when the game's actually played. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, I mean, of all of those, yes, Memphis is the most likely to do it. I was... I was trying to think a little bit out of the box. Um, I hate to do this to my alma mater, but I could see the minimum possibly getting into Philadelphia and sneaking one out just because, like we said earlier, that the the offense for the Owls has been pretty bad. And for UMass, their offense hasn't been, you know, they've actually been, been able to move the ball. So that could be the game if I was going to say there's maybe one upset because I can't really see, I don't see Illinois knocking off USF. The Tulsa Toledo game, I really, you know, I wouldn't call if Tulsa won, I wouldn't call that an upset. Really, you said the the SMU game. I mean, I was eyeing up when I asked you the question. That was the game that I was eyeing up, but I just don't see that either. Tulane, Oklahoma, no chance. ECU, no chance. So, if I really had to pick, like, a, you know, a dark horse upset, I would have, I would have to go with UMass, which will probably upset some people I know, but. We're not here to make friends with everybody. Right. And, I mean, we can probably make a case for every game except for the Virginia Tech-ECU game, maybe even the Rice-Houston game. We could probably make a case for an upset in all those games. I guess Tulane and Oklahoma is another one. But, yeah, just I, I like the UMass pick. I think we mentioned earlier it could be a game that Temple struggles with and UMass has hung around with their first three opponents, so that's definitely a possibility. All right, so as number-wise, what do we say? We said five each. Uh, hopefully, 
we're both wrong again. They get at least half the conference gets the win. Let's go for six wins. We'll be cheering on Memphis, that's for sure. But as far as this episode goes, I don't really have much else. You got anything you want to add, Joe? No, sir. All right, I guess then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Thanks for listening to episode 20 of the Underdog Podcast. Again, make sure you're listening to the other podcasts as well. That will be for the Sun Belt and the Conference USA. Honestly, I'm kind of shocked we've already hit the 20 point. I feel like we just literally just got started this, but I guess that's kind of what happens when you got three of these going all at once. Um, but make sure you're following me and Joey on Facebook, Twitter, any of that good stuff. Do the same with the Underdog Dynasty. Leave the reviews for the podcast as well. And until next time, let me see you. Don't embarrass us. Thank you.